and happy Monday. I'm really excited to share this episode with you all. Um, I recorded it actually like in this over the summer, so it was a, a little bit of time ago, but I was re-listening it to it today as I was like doing some final edits and just reminded me how, like how amazing this conversation was and how eye-opening it was like about the, I don't know, we talk about codependency and just like how it plays in different elements of life. And, um, how sometimes like codependency doesn't have to be in a romantic relationship. But I think that's something that, I mean, that's definitely something I learned through my conversation with Candy and I'm really excited for you all to listen and, you know, maybe have some thoughts on like where, if like this affects you or, you know, you see yourself as a, if you don't think of yourself as a codependent person, but then you listen to this episode and you're like, Oh, like I relate to that. Um, but yeah, uh, I quickly wanted to give a shout out to my incredible sponsor, Talkspace, because they, you know, honestly are one of the best solutions to kind of talking about certain things such as codependency and, um, you know, projection or like things like I've been struggling to wrap my mind fully around, but I've been lucky enough um, to talk about with my therapist. So um, if you haven't heard, Talkspace is an app that you can download and get matched with a therapist and then start speaking with them right away. And you can speak with them over text or, um, you know, voice memo or whatever you want and then have like live sessions as well. And it's just a really great to dip, way to dip your toes into therapy um, if you haven't already or if therapy is something like that's new to you or on the other hand, if, you know, maybe you're trying to like, like get back into therapy and right now it's nearly impossible to get uh, an appointment with a therapist because we are in a national shortage of therapists. Um, it's a really great way to just get the help you need right away. So um, I'm really fortunate to be able to give you guys hundred dollars off your first month if you use my code. So um, to get started, you just go to Talkspace.com and then use the code Zoe to get $100 off your first month. Again, that's Talkspace.com um, and then use the code Zoe, Z-O-E, for $100 off your first month. Uh, but yeah, I hope you enjoy this episode with Candy. I think it was it was so fun to talk to her and she's just so awesome. And um, yeah, I think you really like it. So without further ado, here's the episode. Enjoy. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Solace in the City. Today, I am so excited to be here virtually with Candy Washington, who is an executive producer, writer, and the star of Narcissist, which is a film about accountability in the digital era. Candy, thank you so much for being here today. I'm so excited to have you on. Yeah, thank you so much for having me, Zoe. I'm I'm humbled to be here, and I just am I, and I'm excited for our time together. Oh, great. So, why don't you start off by telling me a little bit about yourself? Where are you from? Where'd you grow up? Where'd you go to school? How old are you? What's your story? 
Yeah. So I grew up in Syracuse, New York. So it's upstate New York. Um, pretty, it's a pretty much a college town. They call it a city, but it's pretty just like the university and like the mall and things like that. So it's a pretty quaint area to grow up in. And then I went to Georgetown University in DC and I studied philosophy and government as well. Um, I was on the pre-law track. I thought I was going to be a high power intellectual property lawyer or entertainment lawyer. And then I quickly realized I did not want to be a lawyer. I wanted to play one on TV Mm. (laughs) or I wanted to, you know, write or something along those more creative lines. So I sort of decided not to go to law school after um, university and I moved to New York and I did the fun New York City thing. I interned for Louis Vuitton. I got um, a little bit more of a corporate job, but then was also doing content creation on the side. Then decided to make that big leap from New York to LA. So I've been in LA now for a few years and I'm a full-time content creator and I just write and I uh, make really fun content. I'm introverted. A lot of people don't know that about me. Um, People tend to think I'm extroverted, very sociable, very outgoing, which I am in the right circumstances, but I'm actually a very, very introverted person. So I prefer um, not being in the crowd, but people watching and watching the crowd. But I'm also very personable once like you're my friend and it's a small group. That's so awesome. I did not know you were from or like lived in New York for such a for a while. I feel like people either I feel like people love like one or the other when it comes to New York and LA. Did you find yourself a fan of like one and not the other or were you kind of neutral? Yeah, it's so funny. Like when I lived in New York, I loved it. Like I just thrived from the energy of the city, the hustle and the bustle, and it was great. And so I thought that I would just pop to LA, like do the LA thing for a couple of years, just like see what it's like out here. And then I ended up falling in love with it. I I love the slower pace. I love the weather, the palm trees. I love the culture that is here. So it totally surprised me that now I really call LA and the West Coast home. Like I don't don't see myself moving back to New York permanently, like definitely to visit and to visit family that still lives that still lives in upstate New York and also in the southeast now have some family in Atlanta as well. But I really fell in love with um with LA. It got me. It it got me. (laughs) That's so funny. So it's interesting that you said you studied philosophy in college because you know, you produced a movie and wrote a book that both touch on psychological themes and topics. So I my question was, you know, how did you become interested in psychology? And I guess my like follow up question is also how, you know, did philosophy, did studying philosophy have any influence on that? And if so, how and like, what did you also just learn about in those classes? Yeah, so I think what's funny is that sometimes when we can look back at things it makes sense, mm-hmm. but individually and in the moment, it you don't see how they cohesively go together. So when I was studying philosophy, it was just because I loved learning about the human experience and the human condition and being able to think critically. So understanding what I think and what I believe, but also holding the space for what other people think and believe. So either my belief system can change based on what they said, or I can be even more um, fortified and in what I believe being able to understand the other, uh, like in philosophy, it's like the, the opponent's argument or whatever it's called, but just basically the other person's perspective. Right. Yeah. Um, so I loved critical thinking. I loved just 
cultural relativism and just thinking about guiding principles. I've just always been really interested in the human experience. So that's really why I studied philosophy and like what we think and what is, and what are our motivating factors, why we do what we do, not necessarily what we do. Yeah. Really about intentionality. So that's really why I was studying uh, philosophy and I always loved to write. So we would always have to write tons of papers <laughs> all the time, which sounds kind of geeky, but I'm a nerd. So it's fine. Um, So that's kind of why I studied philosophy. I didn't really have a higher understanding that, you know, down the line, I would be doing movies about codependency and writing books about it as well. And like, you know, how people feel and self-esteem and all of those things. So that was really the foundation there. And then just as I moved into my own career from more structured corporate America to working for myself, And then moving to the West Coast, like my whole family, all of my friends were on the East Coast. So when I moved out to L.A., I was on my own and I was working for myself and things that I needed to deal with came to light that I never really understood before. Like I realized I had a really hard time saying no to people like it would I would get a pit in my stomach if I had to tell someone no. I never wanted to disappoint anyone. I never wanted anybody to think I was selfish. Um, I never wanted anybody to think I was like a BT or a BITCH type of person. Um, I wanted to be liked by everyone. I thought I had to be happy all the time. I could never push back all of these things. And I was just like, what is this? Like, where is this coming from? But those were the things that served me because I had like, that's the role I played in my family. That's the role I played with my friends that I grew up with in childhood, my college friends. So I didn't realize that those were unhealthy thinking patterns and, and, and ways to be until I was outside of that environment. And I was like, wait a minute, like this isn't actually healthy. So that's when I started my own journey of self-discovery and in the healing process of like, well, why do I feel like I can't say no? Why do I don't create, why, like, why can't I create healthy boundaries? Why do I people please? Why do I think I have to perform and do in order to be worthy and valuable? So once I started my own journey, that's when I really started parlaying the content that I was creating to be more in alignment with what I was personally going through or had gone through. Interesting. So when did you and how did you start coming to those realizations? Because I feel like those are all topics, you know, discussed in a therapeutic setting and worked on, you know, with life coaches. Did Did you yourself like was there something that, you know, kicked off that journey of self-discovery and of undoing those patterns? Or do you think you just had like the self-awareness naturally to, to realize those things about yourself? You know, it really was when I got serious about being an entrepreneur and being my own, um, person really. And when I got serious about wanting to have like healthy romantic relationships, you know, things that working out with romantic partners, because I was people pleasing and all of those things. Um, when I got to the point where I wanted more for myself out of my interpersonal relationships, whether it was with a romantic partner or whether it was with my friends or whether it was with my family or whether it was with my um, clients and coworkers. When I got to the point where I just was like, this is no longer working. This is no longer serving me. That was really the catalyst where I was like, well, maybe I need to go to therapy and have someone like help me unpack this. I also think just 
this is going to sound a little bit bizarre, but listening to podcasts like Super Soul Sunday, um, uh, uh, Therapy for Black Girls, um, and other podcasts like that just really opened my eyes to what my patterns were and what was happening because I knew I wasn't fully self-aware of what exactly was, was going. I wasn't full. I wasn't, I didn't wake up one day and I was like, oh my God, I'm codependent, you know, like, oh, I'm, oh my God, I'm very empathic and highly sensitive. So I'm attracting a lot of narcissistic people. No, 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 no. It was not that it was just, I knew that I wanted more. I knew that there was something missing. I knew that I was surfacely happy, but I wasn't internally joyful. And I knew that that's what I wanted to be. And I was yearning for it. And I had gotten to a place in my life where I had to seek it out. I no longer had the security blanket of my family and my friends and my corporate job. If I was going to succeed on my own as a fully formed adult and a fully formed entrepreneur, I had to nip this in the bud. I had to, I had to learn how to look in the mirror and say, you are enough, you are deserving and worthy. You create the standards in your life. You create the boundaries in your life. People either respect it or they don't. And regardless, it does not change who you are as a person. Um, So I had to do the work to get there. But for me, it was really just this gut feeling of being not satisfied with how I felt about myself and about how I was showing up for myself in, in the world. So it was just this, like this, I just got sick and tired of being sick and tired basically. Yeah. Wow. That's so interesting. And it, and it makes sense as to, you know, then why you wanted to create content that explored not just the human experience, but your human experience. Um, exactly. Yeah. And I think like as a, creative person, even if like whatever you do, if it's a painting or a book or a movie or a podcast or whatever, as creative beings, there is a part of us that we put in everything that we do. That's why it's so close and so connected to us. Um, So I think, yeah, I think regardless of what you do, if you're a creative person, there is some semblance of, of yourself and everything that you create. Yeah, no, I mean, I completely agree. It's, it's funny you say that because I, I mean, part of the reason I, I started this podcast and now I'm heading down the, the route to go, um, go to social work school and become a therapist, I think is like, because of things I want to continue learning about myself. And like a lot of what I've heard from people are like therapies, like it sounds silly, but like, it's like a selfish, selfish profession because in you are it's like selfish and self it's and selfless because although you're helping people you're also kind of learning more about yourself and I've certainly found that with you know the podcast and the work I do um on the corporate side of things but um a little bit of a tangent (laughs) no it's fine yeah so I want to start off talking a little bit about your novel triggered where which is you know touches on um, elements of codependency and you mentioned you know in the past being a codependent person so I also you know listened to you speak on um, another podcast and talking about this so I was wondering first in your words like what is codependency for listeners who don't or maybe not haven't heard that term and um, and when or if at all did you experience it and what was that like 
Yeah. So, um, so for me, codependency is just when the relationship is unbalanced and one person in that relationship feels as though they derive their self-worth, their value, um, their meaning and their self-validation based on the approval of the other person and based on being needed by the other person. So a codependent person really gets their self-worth from what they do show, prove, provide, sacrifice, being there um, for another person in that codependent relationship. So when it comes to codependency, there's usually someone who's very um, empathic and by empathic, just you feel other people's feelings as if they were your own. You're very sensitive to other people's energies. Mm -hmm. Uh, And then the other person usually is more on the narcissistic scale. I don't want to ever diagnose anybody, but just more narcissistic, uh, tendencies and traits where they derive their worth and identity out of, um, being able to control and get other people to, meet their needs usually in a very manipulative way, even though they may not be conscious of that. So to me, codependency is just saying, I am dependent on this other person in order to feel good about myself. I'm just dependent on this other person in order to know who I am and what my identity is, rather than you're, rather than it being independent and you're dependent on your intrinsic value, that you are inherently worthy and enough, regardless of what anybody else says does or thinks. So to me, that's really what the codependency is. And uh, I'm a recovering codependent because it's not a, um, and to be very clear, it's not a mental illness. It's not anything along that those lines. It's more of a conditioning. It's more of you were conditioned to believe that these, how you, this is how you got your needs and wants met. So it's more of a conditioning. That's why you can um, recondition yourself and reprogram yeah. yourself. So it's not a mental illness by any means, but um, I still deal with it. There are still times where I second guess myself or I feel the need to be liked or I get um, insecure. Am I being too sensitive? Am I overreacting? Um, am I being dramatic? Like all of those things, which are not true. It's really, you're just being a human being and you're allowed to respond to things and respond to people and have your feelings without someone diminishing them or invalidating them. So really getting out of being codependent is when you're able to validate yourself where what you say about you is the final decision that you don't need someone else to make you feel good about yourself or to prove your worth. Um, And I've dealt with that my entire life. Like I grew up with a single mom. So me and my mom are very, very close. And I think that was really the formation of that codependent relationship. Because usually sometimes when you grow up in a single parent household, you get parenthesized. Like the parent obviously they don't mean to do it. They're not intentionally trying to condition their child to be this way, but you kind of feel responsible for your parent, or you feel like you're a partner to your parent rather than you are the child. So when that relationship gets flipped, that is usually a good basis for a codependent relationship, but it doesn't have to be just from single parents. If you could come from a two parent household and still have the same exact conditioning, but that was just my personal story. So I learned to 
feel about myself, how my mother felt about me and what my mother's needs were. So I no longer looked to myself for what I needed and wanted, but I looked to what her needs and want were, were, and I felt it was my job to make sure that she was okay, rather than being the child where it's the parent's job to make sure that I was okay. And again, she's a great mom. I love her. We're still thick as thieves, but um, people operate from where they are. And I think a part of being emotionally intelligent and mature is realizing that um, everyone, even your parents that you idolize are just humans and everyone has their own emotional and mental limitations. It doesn't make them a bad person. doesn't make them a bad parent. It makes them a human being. And I think when you realize that your parents are just people too, you can, you, you can kind of give them grace and forgiveness and understanding. Cause I think growing up as a kid, you idolize your parents. So you think that they're kind of gods and they're, they're, they're not, they're humans. Mm-hmm. You know, when I'm able to look at my mom and look at her as a woman, you know, I'm able to give her so much more grace and forgiveness and understanding than if I look at her as sort of this fantasy idol, like mother figure that we're led to believe that they're supposed to be. Yeah, that's so interesting. And I think it's also, you know, really great that you put codependency in the context of something outside of a romantic relationship, because obviously that. I think is where you hear that term the most is like, oh, it's a codependent relationship or, you know, she's like being a codependent girlfriend, you know, especially I'd say that's probably where you hear She's so needy. She's so needy. Exactly. I mean, it's definitely like sexualized as is a lot or as are a lot of things. But, you know, even like thinking back to myself, when you were talking, I was kind of self-reflecting and, I've never considered myself a codependent person because mm-hmm. when I look at myself as in in a romantic setting, I'm like, wow, I'm very independent. I do not. I like my space. Like I want to. I'm like the opposite of quality time. I'm like, please just give me my alone time. But then when f- reflecting on my friendships and how I used to be, um, you know, with my friends and as it, it was very much a people pleasing mentality and a codependent mentality of, you know, okay, is my friend mad at me? Like, why aren't they answering my texts? And it was that, you know, coupled with anxiety that just would put me in a downward spiral of needing them to love me, needing them to please me. And I think a lot of that was because of like my family relationship, ha- having not being so close with them when I was younger and then using my friends as my rock, you know? And so when it's, it's just interesting, th- like having thought of myself as a, an, an independent person, my entire life flipping it or thinking back and be like, well, actually that was only in setting in romantic settings. Like when it came to friendships, I cared so much what my friends thought of me because to me they were my world and I and I knew that they were the people in my life that I I cared for the most and needed the most and so I mean and they obviously my friend my friends were great I love them for a reason but it was something it was that way I was self-destructing myself because I I was constantly thinking I was the bad person and couldn't say no and I thought okay if I say no they'll hate me but Again, right. it was just things or the leap. Yeah, mm. well, I, I will actually say say to that um, a couple of things. One, um, I used to think 
I was independent in relationships too, but it was actually just a trauma response from codependency. Because when you are in relationship with someone, and I'm talking about romantic, there can also be the fear of if I'm vulnerable with this person, if I show up fully as myself with this person, if I admit that I want more from this person, that they will leave me. So feeling that you are independent in a romantic relationship is actually from your abandonment wound. You're scared that if you are authentic with saying you want this connection, you're scared that you are not enough and that person will leave you. They think that you're too clingy. They think that you're um, nagging. They'll think that you're dramatic or too sensitive or you're too much. So being independent in a romantic relationship is actually a defense mechanism. It's your way of protecting yourself. And I know exactly what you're saying. Cause that's exactly how I used to be mm-hmm. where yeah. in romantic relationships, nope, I'm cool. Like I was like the cool girl, like we're good. You do you, I'll do me. We're together, blah, blah, blah. I'm totally cool. It, but it's, it's rooted in a wound because we're scared of being too much. Mm-hmm. And then that, and then that person will leave us. So it's out of the abandoned wound. And with my friends, I was exactly the same way. I was like the number, I was like the most best friend, like always there, always, always saying yes, always down, never pushing back game for everything. And then very fearful that if I said anything or didn't go with the flow, that they would not like me because again, it's all coming from the abandonment wound. It's the coming from the space of who I am is not enough. Yeah. Wow. So if I show up fully in my friendships and as my authentic self and by authentic self, I mean saying what you want, what you don't want, what you like, what you don't like being fully who you are, that somehow my friend will leave me if I'm not the happy yes friend or my boyfriend will leave me if I'm not the cool girl that doesn't expect too much from him. So it's all from that abandonment wound. And when you're able to heal that and you get on your healing journey, you know that the friends that you are meant to have will honor your boundaries and they want to get to know your authentic self. And if you say no to them or if you push back or if you have an opinion that they can respect it, it might be uncomfortable in the moment, but that's what relationships are, you know, all types of relationships, like thinking that everything is going to be roses all the time is a fantasy. That's yeah. not true life, but that's what we are. So we, we live in that fantasy space because we're so scared of being left because we were conditioned that usually in childhood, the people that we looked to, to take care of us, to meet our needs and to meet our wants neglected that. So the way in which we coped was to deny those needs and wants, because it's much easier as a child to say, I don't have any needs than it is to say my needs are not being met Mm because that's very, very scary, especially as a child. It's very, very scary because our brains are not developed yet. So if we think that our needs are not being met, we are literally in survival mode as children. We literally need these people in our lives, our family, our father, our mother, our older siblings, these people in order to survive. So we create this fantasy that we don't have any needs and we look to everyone outside of ourselves to make sure that we will be okay and that we will survive. That's why it's called survival mode. Yeah. No, that's so interesting. Yeah. 
Yeah. So once you get out of survival mode, you can get into thriving and thriving is when you're able to show up fully as who you are. You're able to make those boundaries and have those standards and have those authentic connections and have healthy communication because you are looking inward for how you feel about you. So even if this boyfriend leaves me, I know that I will be okay. I know that I'm still worthy and I'm still valuable. I might be sad for a little bit, but it will not destroy me. Even if my friends no longer like me, that is okay. I still know that I am a great person. I'm a good friend. And honestly, they are the ones who is missing out on the joy of having me in their lives. Usually, honestly, that only happens a little bit of the time. Yeah. Usually what happens, there'll be this weird, funky kind of, you know, changing of the roles. Like I went through this with a lot of my friends. Like I was one candy that they knew that never said no, never pushed back, was totally like the yes girl, let's do this. And then as I worked on myself, as I got healthier, as I got stronger, as I got more empowered, as I knew, as I was more self-validating who I was and I no longer needed their approval to know my own worth, we had some bumps in the roads and it's not that they're bad people necessarily, but if they're used to you being one way and then you change that dynamic, there will be growing pains, but the majority of my friends are still my friends and it's a better friendship and it's a better relationship because it's based on two authentic people choosing to be friends with each other. And then in my romantic relationships, when I started to show up fully it no longer so much became about, am I enough? Am I good enough for this guy? Or I have to be this cool girl when I'm with this guy. But I switched it to, is this the guy that I want to be with? Does he show me love? Does he communicate with me? Does he have physical touch? Does he have words of affirmation or whatever the love languages are? Does he do quality time? Like, are we working together? Do we have a common goal? Like, does he freak out when I want to have, you know, um, emotional intimacy with him or not. So I went from thinking I have to be this cool girl. So I don't freak this guy out to I'm amazing. I'm a badass bitch and he is lucky to be with me. And I'm going to see if I want him. Yeah. So that is the shift that we need to have when it, when it comes to going from codependent to a healed person. And then you don't, want to be independent within the relationship. You want to be interdependent. So you mutually depend on each other. So one isn't taking too much. One isn't taking too little. And then you're also, and then you also don't feel isolated in a relationship. Of course you want your independence. Of course you still want to be an independent person, but within the relationship, you want to be interdependent because that's the whole point of being in relationship with someone else. It's to have a partnership and that should really be the goal. Yeah. Wow. You hit the nail on the head and I think it ties into it. It so much ties into self-love and just how once you're able to realize that, you know, especially when speaking to like the fact of, you know, having the very, the rare instances of like a friend leaving or friend not accepting, um, you for changing so to speak it's like that's a projection on them and their insecurities and once you're able to realize that and realize that just projection in most forms is a projection it it is it just makes a lot of, uh, like living life a lot easier without 
you know, mitigating like the pain that comes with it, but just I can relate to, you know, I, I moved from New York city to Austin, Texas this past December, which yeah. has been ugh, amazing. And it's crazy, but in this, I mean, they're my friend group there. I've known, uh, how, I don't even know how long, like six months, not even. And that those people, because I met them when I was my authentic self, when I was fully yep. there and fully vulnerable about my life, what I look for in friends, what I look for in family and, and people like there's just the, those friendships are so deep and so incredible. And it's like, I can't believe that I've only known them rarely, like not even six months because, but I think it's because that when I met them, I never was, I didn't immediately put them before myself, if that makes sense. Like I was always kind of putting myself first and then realizing these are great people I want to be around with. Like I want to do, I I want to put them first and in, but in a different kind of context of like, you know, if they're in trouble, I'll be the first one to go help and that kind of a thing rather than like, ah, saying yes to this would really like push me back on work or do X, Y, or Z, but I'm going to do it anyway. So they're not mad. It's like a very different, um, outlook on things. No, a hundred percent. It's a different, um, intentionality mm-hmm. because when, when you do, when you say yes, from a place of, I authentically want to do this, this is my authentic. Yes. That is true power. And it's just a, such a different energy rather than I am saying yes, because I don't want to make this person mad. I don't want to look a certain way. I don't want them to leave me. I don't want, um, because I don't want to feel less than or left out or, or whatever it is. Like if you are saying yes for any other reason, then you just genuinely want to say yes. Energetically, it's so different. The experience is different. That's why intentionality is so important and awareness is so important. And then you also don't breed resentment. Because I know for me, um, when I was in my high codependent days, I became very resentful because I felt like I always say yes to you. I always show up for you. I always do whatever you want. And this one time you can't do that for me. And then I started to, or not even if they didn't do anything, but just in general, it would breed resentment. Cause I felt like I'm doing all of this for you. I'm sacrificing everything I want for you. Like, when is it my turn? When are you going to show up for me? When are you going to start sacrificing for me? When are you going to figure this out? Right. So it also breeds resentment in relationships. And oftentimes the other person doesn't even know you're feeling that way until something happens or there's a big blow up or there's a big fight or something really small set something off or whatever it is. Um, but it's because it breeds resentment. Yeah, because anytime absolutely. you do something that you don't want to do, you're you're adding resentment to 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 that relationship. A hundred percent. So 100%. true. And it's also I think especially when you're in that mentality, the last thing you want to do is have confrontation. So you never address it. And so like, as you that's said, what we're scared of thing, like sets yeah. it off. And then they're like, why'd you get mad at me for, 
you know, like shutting the door too loudly or something so silly, but it's because it's building up and building up and the kettle's finally going to boil. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. So I wanted to kind of tie in themes yeah. of your movie, which I watched and is so good. Oh, and I, I'm, I definitely want you to plug it at the end, but it, you know, you touch on kind of the, the toll that social media takes on influencers and followers and I think, you know, obviously I feel like I'm beating a dead horse and saying that like there's a lot of negatives to social media, but one aspect where I find it to be really interesting is just when it comes to influencers and talking about mental health and I don't I, basically things that aren't like obvious, obviously or blatantly bad so to speak I don't know if that makes sense but more of like microaggression things when it turned you know single shaming for example like or and talking and like I've seen so many influencers just like yeah talking about their pregnancies and like posting pictures all the time and I'm like okay I get it you're pregnant like we didn't need the whole, I don't need to see it like the, every I don't need day. the whole journey like this was the day we conceived like we I don't need to see that exactly or just like little yeah. things like that and how it affects people because obviously social media has such a large impression like no pun intended on the people who see it and so you know when you're seeing everyone you know get married or you're seeing all these people get pregnant and you're seeing mm -hmm. people um living like w the the life that is just what the media thinks or says is the industry standard so to speak and I guess if you could speak a little to that and you know the it's just the inspiration you had behind creating narcissist that'd be awesome yeah, absolutely. Well, my inspiration behind it was um, I do a lot of social media influence less now because now I'm working more on like books and podcasts and things like that. So I've been able to, to take my brand and pivot, which has been great. But when I first moved out to LA, I was doing a lot of, it was kind of like in the social media heyday. It's kind of changed now after the pandemic, but it was like right in the heyday and we'd go to all of these events and it looked so glamorous online. Like, you know, we'd be on the red carpet and doing these fun little installations, but then behind the scenes, people were kind of miserable. Like they were like, you would walk in and it wasn't as cool and as fun and as amazing as like all of the pics looked like, like you'd go in there. And the first thing you think of is like, what's my angle? What's the picture? Like, let's do that. And it's kind of work. And it's not really that fun, if that mm -hmm. makes sense. Um, so I kind of wanted to shine a light on that. And then also to me, accountability is really important in everything that we do. And I think that as influencers and by influencers, I just don't mean like the pretty girls who are like, you know, hanging out by the pool. I mean, really anyone who is using social media for a gain that could be an athlete, you know, promoting their new sneaker line that could be a mommy blogger promoting her new, you know, baby formula that she made, mm -hmm. you know, that could be a writer promoting their book or whatever it is. I just think that we need to be mindful that what you put out there has meaning and someone will consume that. So I want to be, I want people just to be mindful of like, for me, anything I put out, I always think, how will the person experience this content? 
Mm-hmm. When they, once they engage with it, will they feel better about themselves? Will they have learned something? Will they feel inspired? Am I just, even if it's just like, I think this is funny and I hope someone just laughs today, but I want people to be mindful about the content that they put out there. So that's really more with like the influencer side. And then I also wanted to shed light on um, followers. They are also accountable. Like we also, because I think it's a double-edged sword. I think that sometimes we only think of it as influencers who need to be transparent and be mindful, but the followers also have to be accountable as well. Because if you are being triggered by someone posting something on their Instagram or their YouTube or their Facebook, you don't have to follow that person. You can mute them, you can block them, you can unfollow really get in touch with what your triggers are. And I'm speaking from personal experience here. Like sometimes I'd see posts of these girls and they were so thin and I was just like, okay, Candy, you got to unfollow, you got to mute because we're not going to be one of those girls that are like LA and like starving themselves. Not me, not now. But I found that I was being triggered by that. I was like, wow, I'm not that thin. I'm not that like, like, and it started to kind of eat away at my own self-esteem and my own self-concept. So I was just like, all right, well, I can't control what somebody posts, but I can control what's in my feed. So I think as um, consumers of social media content, we also have to be accountable for ourselves. Know what our triggers are. Um, Know that we control our feeds. You don't have to follow the coolest person. You don't have to engage you can unfollow, you can mute, you can block, be conscious about the, the feed that you are um, curating, that you are consuming. Um, and then also remember that Instagram and Facebook and Twitter and YouTube and all of these things, literally they're just apps. They're just pixels on somebody's phone. I could go on my phone now and delete Instagram. Like it's not that deep. So I think having a healthy perspective on this is literally just an app. It's pixels on my phone and people are posting a very curated highlight reel of what they want me to see. So I don't have the mentality that social media is real. I have the mentality that social media is just, I look at it for, for entertainment. Mm -hmm. Like that's kind of like, I want people to kind of have that mentality where it's like, I can create community social media because there are some great positive things or some amazing Facebook book groups or Instagram groups or um, YouTube communities where it really is such a great community to have an online community. And that's great. So social media is just a tool and you have to decide how you're going to use it and how it's going to use you. It's just a tool. Like I was speaking at um, uh, an event pre pandemic when we got to have those and the host (laughs) and the host asked me, she said, um, oh, you must be really passionate about social media. And I said, no, absolutely not. I was like, I'm not passionate about social media. Social media is the platform through which I share my passion. Yeah, that's so true. And so I think when people take accountability for A, what content am I putting out? And B, what content am I choosing to consume? That's when I think that social media can be a tool that we use for good. So I wanted to highlight that as well. And and particularly in the movie, I wanted to make, I didn't want to villainize Sienna. I wanted to humanize her because she was having her own, you know, internal struggle. She felt she wasn't worthy and deserving. There's this new hot girl who's going to come and take my space. Like I'm not good enough. Everyone, you know, but she was unable to take accountability. She wanted to blame everybody other than herself for what she did. And then with, um, 
Dr. Worry, her psychologist, um, he also did not take accountability. Yeah. I don't want to, I'll spoil it. Well, I don't want to spoil too much, but the relationship that he had with her follower, he was the person who was responsible and accountable since she was a child. Yeah. And so he also was deflecting what his accountability was. So I really wanted the film to say that they all were victims and they all were perpetrators. You know, none, no one in that film was innocent. So, and I think that's how I kind of feel about social media, where it's as an influencer, you are accountable to the people that you're influencing. And as people consuming content, you're accountable to yourself to make sure that you're taking care of your emotional and mental well-being and you're not letting social media consume you. So undelete, I mean, I mean, delete, block, mute, unfollow, do whatever you need to do. So you're not letting other people's content, which you cannot control, control you. Yeah, that's such a good point because just by like, because kind of as you said, it's it goes both ways where, yes, there's definitely, you know, people who push out content that doesn't need to be anywhere. But, you know, exactly. if, it, if, that, if that's your whole <laughs> feed, then maybe not the problem is you, but maybe it's time to take a look inside and be like, well, then why am I following these people? Like right. what, what is it adding to my life if every post I see is, is making me feel worse about myself? Yeah, no, no. And, and you're a hundred percent right. You're not the problem. You just need to remember that you are empowered to yeah. not consume this content. And I have to tell you, I was so petty one time. I'll, I'll tell you how it was petty. Everyone was posting baby pics and baby pics and all this. I was like, if I have to see your baby, you have to see the selfie. So I was just posting tons of selfies because I was like, I don't want to see your kids the same way you don't want to see my face. <laughs> That's like in it was just like a fun petty thing. It wasn't it wasn't like um it wasn't uh, malicious or anything like that. It was just like a fun a fun thing. Yeah. Have you seen the the Sex in the City episode where Carrie? goes to I think it's either a baby shower or, or um bachelorette party yeah and, and the shoes yeah and she's like well why don't I ha- I'm gonna have a I'm not getting married party or like yeah I'm not having a baby and I, I yeah. love that episode. I love it yeah me too that's kind of how I felt I was just like if I see one more like we made it to nine months I hope so I hope you kept the baby alive good job yeah. if I see one more baby pig or one more like flash mob he proposed I was just like you're just getting selfies <laughs> yeah no I would I would honestly do the same um, so I always wrap up with a few questions somewhat unrelated to the podcast but they always kind of tie in so the first question is what's one thing in your life that's happened to you that's made you a stronger person today Ooh. um happened to me I would probably say failing has made me a stronger person if that makes sense like I feel like I fail a thousand times more than I ever succeed so I think being comfortable with failing and by failing I mean just like not 
succeeding at something I put my mind to. Mm -hmm. Like I've had a thousand different ideas. Like I'm going to do this and I'm going to do that, or this is going to happen or, or just trying to do something. Like I tried Patreon and that was a big failure. I did not do well on Patreon. (laughs) Um, so, but then I learned from there and then now I'm doing great. I'm like YouTube who has a very structured, they've, you know, copied Patreon uh, payment structure, but I'm doing well over there. So it's like, what has happened to me is just repeatedly failing. And that has made me a much stronger and more resilient um, and much more intelligent person because everything I failed at has taught me something that has made me do the next thing better. Yeah. So just constantly failing. <laughs> I know. I love that. And it also just makes you, I mean, I'm a big believer in everything, like however you want to phrase it, but like however everything happening for a reason, so to speak. And so mm-hmm. I think, you know, when you don't get a, that job that you think you want, uh, and, but then a year later you're at your dream job, like that's a personal example. I yeah. look back and I'm like, what would have happened if I got that job that I was like crying over when I didn't get, you know, the final round interview. So it's also just kind of teaches you those types of lessons, I think. No, exactly. Like, I I think it's called like rejection protection, Mm -hmm. where it's like when you're able to take a step back and think, well, maybe there's something greater at play, Mm -hmm. you know, and it's like that saying, it's like when you pray, God only has three answers. One is, um, yes. (laughs) The second is, uh, no, not right now. And the third is no, because something greater. So I think I like, like when you really have that mentality of if you fail at something or if you get told no or you get rejected, you can take that step back and have an objectivity and think, A, what is this moment trying to teach me? Because I don't think any experience is wasted, even the uncomfortable ones. What is this experience trying to teach me? And also, what is it trying to show me? Mm-hmm. And then you know, it's protecting you from something else. So God or whatever you want to believe in is saying, I know you have this goal of X, Y, and Z. I know you think it's this, but no, I have something greater for you. So that's why you can look back and be like, oh, I got told no, because there was something even greater in store for me. So I think sometimes when we know, like I, like one of my affirmations is that um, all that which comes to pass is for my greatest good all that which comes to pass. So even if it's the negative, even if it's the rejection, even if it's the failure, even if it's the tears or the whatever it is, this came to pass because it's in service of my greater good and something better for me will come out of that. So that's kind of the mentality I go into into life, whether it's romance, friends, career, family, personal. I just remind myself all that which comes to pass is for my greatest good. And so- it's a good way to cope and it's a good way to have a healthy perspective on things, especially when things don't go your way. Definitely. I love that so much. And it kind of leads me to my next question, which is, do you have a favorite quote, mantra, or affirmation that you live by? Ooh, I mean, this one's going to sound really cheesy and cliche, but I think my absolute favorite one is, um, I am enough. I love Cause that. I think that is, I think that the feeling of lack or less than, or the fear of abandonment, I think is really what sabotages a lot of our peace and our joy. I mean, like inner peace and inner joy and, and self-esteem and self-worth, like it's self for a reason. you got to get it from yourself. Like when I was recovering from being codependent, I used to be, um, 
performance-based value. I got my sense of worth from what I was doing from other people. So I was always like exhausted and hustling for how I felt about myself because I was always looking for somebody else to tell me I was good enough, that I wasn't disposable. If if you need me, then you're not going to leave me, right? Like that's really what the root is. If you need me, you won't leave me. So I'm going to make sure that you need me. That's why you're dependent on that person. That that person is dependent on you. That's why you're codependent on each other. And then I had to switch to my intrinsic value, which is where I, I live now, which is I inherently am enough and worthy and valuable and lovable and deserving of respect and all of those things simply because I exist, simply because I am here, I am enough. And regardless of what you think, say, or do, I will still be enough. So even if you don't choose me, I'm enough. And then also anything I want in this world, if it's a romantic relationship, if it's a baby, if it's a monetary success, if it's just success in general, whatever my dreams are, homes, cars, yachts, family connection, whatever it is, whatever it is. I am already enough and worthy and deserving of it. There is nothing I have to do or prove in order to be worthy for everything that I want to have in this world. I already am enough. And that is point blank. And it's, yeah, it's so simple, but so powerful, I think. Yeah. What do you love most about yourself? I, what I love most about myself is I think I have a really sweet soul. Yeah. It comes across. And, <laughs> yeah. So I love, I love that. Um, I love that I have a sweet soul. I love that I'm playful and I love that I'm silly and I love that I'm soft and I love that, um, I can just enjoy being with myself so much. Again, I said I'm introverted, but even beyond that, like I love that I love me and I, and I have a very sweet soul and I love um, showing that kindness to other people. When is your birthday? December 14th. Sag? Sagittarius. Oh, I can see that. I feel like Sagittarius are like very much entrepreneurs like self-starters leaders my first guest was a sag so yeah that's, <laughs> that's awesome I'm I'm a Virgo which is the necklace. but um I, I identify too much with that which is probably why I have a mental health podcast and <laughs> for a lot of reasons <laughs> no it's fine I mean hey me too so we're in the same boat <laughs> Um, and my final question, which is the name of the podcast, is yeah. how, how do you find solace in the city? Which could either be L.A. or something more, you know, whatever city means to you. Yeah. So the way I find solace in the city is taking moments for joy every day. And by that, I mean just doing something simply because I enjoy it whether it's going for a ride and like watching the sunset or looking at like the mountains or treating myself to like 
you know, I'm a big savory person. So like a really like fancy, expensive piece of like cheese or something really like nice with like wine or, you know, um, coming in from a run. And this is one thing I do all the time, which I really love. Like I'll come in from a run and I will just, you know, stand in my living room and, and dance to the song that's on and keep just like dancing even though the run is over and it's just like me and it's really fun and it's great. Um, uh, being mindful of your thoughts and your self-talk. Like anytime I find my thoughts going negative or thinking about like, oh, like you did this and or that, I just take a breath and I just say, I love you, Candy. And I say, I love you too. And I reset it and I keep going. So I think just being really conscious of the way you speak to yourself and the way you treat yourself what is your level of self-love? What is your self-concept? What do you think about you? Because you need to be like, before you can be a partner, before you can be a best friend, you have to be all of those things to yourself. So really making yourself and your own well-being your first and best priority. And when I see my, when I'm aware of like, maybe I'm not taking care of myself or I'm not doing, you know, just like life and being busy or, you know, getting kind of flimsy with my boundaries or slipping back into codependency, I have to remind myself, well, what would I tell my best friend? If my best friend was going through X, Y, and Z, if my best friend was struggling with X, Y, and Z, what advice would I give her? And then that is how I know my next best action, my next right move. Because I always want to treat myself as if I am my own best friend first. And I think you tend to give the best advice to other people. Yeah. <laughs> so and I rarely think take you, it yourself. And rarely take it yourself. So when you have those moments of overwhelm or un, or not being in a place of peace, just get still, get quiet and just think, what would I tell my best friend to do? And then that's what you should do. And then that's how you find the solace, making your well-being your first and best priority, treating yourself as your own best friends, taking time throughout the day to be silly and playful and to enjoy yourself for no other reason than it brings you joy. Because I truly believe that that is what we are put on this planet for is to be happy and to be abundant and to be joyful. I think we have this false mentality that there has to be this hustle. There has to be this struggle. We have to prove, we have to put in our dues and life is hard. And I just don't believe that. I think that we were meant to come on this planet to create connection and to remember who we are and to remember our intrinsic value and worth. And from that place, enjoy this finite time that we have on this planet. And I think the best way to show gratitude to your one unique and precious life that you have is to be happy and to enjoy it. And I don't mean it in a fluff, happy way. I mean it in a real like inner peace way. Of course, sometimes things will go wrong. Of course, sometimes you'll be sad. That's the human experience. But when you are rooted in a place of inner peace and joy, and you know who you are, it's a very, very different experience. Like I experienced the world completely differently now than I experienced it before. And that is the truth. It's a different world experience when you truly love yourself and honor yourself. And you know that you are your first and best priority and anybody else be damned, not in a bad negative way, but just you are your number one priority. 
And that is okay. It is not selfish. It is not mean. It is not any of those other things that people say in order to control you and to keep you in check. It is being a healthy, fully evolved human being, taking care of yourself first and allowing yourself to experience the full emotional range of being human. Because when I thought I had to be happy all the time, I would numb myself to being sad or upset or pissed off or angry because I'm not supposed to be that. I'm supposed to be yes and happy, joyful all the time. But then the happiness was fake. Yeah. It was a facade because if you numb yourself to one emotion, you numb yourself to all emotions. You can't select which ones you have and which you don't have. You can um, validate and self-regulate your emotions, which is what you do when you become emotionally intelligent and mature. But if you numb yourself, that's when you live in denial and you live in in the numbness and you live in this fantasy world, but you can't pick and choose. You can't say, I'm only ever going to feel happiness. That's not reality either. Yeah, no, that's so well said. And I completely agree. I'm a huge believer in needing to love yourself and be your own best friend before you can provide that to others. So Candy, thank you so much for taking the time to come on the podcast. I've love speaking to you and I think you're just such an amazing person (laughs) thank you (laughs) where can (laughs) thank you where can everyone follow you listen to your um or watch your movie read your book uh listen to your podcast just plug everything yeah so you guys can watch my movie it's called narcissist it's on Amazon Prime Video and also on SoFi TV. You can uh, pick up my books, Triggered and The Third, and I think I have a couple more other books, but they're all available on Amazon.com and also at uh, BarnesandNobles.com, pretty much wherever you get your books and also on Audible. Um, you can listen to my podcast, Sugar Pills, A Practical Guide to Self-Care. Again, wherever you listen to podcasts, it's also on iHeartRadio, it's on Spotify, it's on Apple Podcasts, it's on Audible as well. Um, and then you can follow me on social media on Instagram. It's at Candy Washington, also on Twitter at Candy Washington. And then definitely join me over on YouTube. I'm now doing some really fun self-care sessions. And I also talk a lot about pop culture and reality TV. We Love get it. very messy and fun. Yeah. So I'm really at the intersection of uh, self-care and pop culture over on YouTube. And that's um, just you just uh, put in there Candy Washington and I should pop up. So I think those are all my spots on Facebook, but I'm not that active over there. But oh, and my website, candywashington.com. Awesome. I'll put it all in the show notes, but thank you again and bye everyone. Bye.